The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. I'm Erica Alexander. And I'm Whitney Dow. Welcome to Reparations, the Big Payback, a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network. Whitney, when we started this journey, we spoke of our own origin stories and how remarkable it was that our very different lives led us to arrive at the same place. So I feel that we can't go any further until we lay out the history of reparations. It's a big world, and we can't mention everything, but we can focus on a few historic examples to give people an understanding of how long this battle has been going on. Yeah, it's a really long and complicated story, and it has lots of heroes and villains. But it's also a story that's populated with people that we don't know, the people that were fighting for reparations in obscurity. But right now, I want to talk about a few people who I think are really important to the movement. I'm thinking of Callie House, who was born into slavery and then mounted a major push for pensions for the formerly enslaved in the 1800s. Then there's Queen Mother Moore, who was a major figure in the reparations movement in the middle of the 20th century. And Robin Rue Simmons, an alderman from Evanston, Illinois, who's making history today with the first tax-funded reparations program in U.S. history. Oh, that's awesome. I'm excited. But the phrase history lesson is a snoozer. So let's make this fun for ourselves. And here's where my film and television background, you're welcome, may be useful. Okay, how about this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe we can do like an Uncle Remus sketch in Song of the South. You know, only this time you play Uncle Remus talking to the Blackbird, explaining the history of the reparations movement. Oh, yeah. How's your Southern accent? You want me to play the Uncle Remus of reparations? Have you heard of cancel culture? (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, look, I, I mean, hey, I was... You don't have to play Uncle Remus. I was trying not to typecast you. You probably can't even hum a tune, but look, I got it. Oh, this is it. Have you ever seen Jurassic Park? The first one, not the 19th. I have, but now I'm really confused, Erica, about where this thing is going. (laughs) Listen, okay, this is awesome. Let's use this technique that they used to teach the visiting scientists Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill, and Laura Dern how the Jurassic Park science team rebred those big old dinosaurs from the DNA samples locked in amber fossils. 
So you play the part of Richard Attenborough. And he's very charming, so you'll have to, you know, you'll make do. But, okay, um, and um, we'll get a, oh, I know, Cree Summer to play the part of the know-it-all reparations mosquito. Cree Summer? Okay, in that case, I'm in. But God help me. Hello, Whitney. Or should I say, Professor Dow? Hello, Reparations Mosquito, and please call me Whitney. So today, we're going to be learning about the history of reparations. Indeed, a difficult yet worthy conversation told within the rich, painful tapestry of America's failure to acknowledge the sin of slavery and the debt owed to its formerly enslaved people and their descendants. Phew-wee! That was exhausting. I quit. Oh, no, you don't, reparations mosquito. No backing out now. Talking about race in America can be exhausting, but trying to get reparations? That's like shake up a snow globe in Boston and expecting it to rain in Cleveland. Sadly, I'm sure that made perfect sense to you, Whitney. Let's get started. Everyone's a critic. I know. Okay, I'm all ears. This is the Cliff Notes version, right? Well, we can't talk about reparations without identifying the need for it in the first place. And that all comes down to the sin of slavery. A complicated discussion that takes more time than I got. So yes, please, Google that. But suffice it to say, the profits and progress made from the unpaid labor of slaves transformed America's economy and made America the most powerful country in the world in record time. Thank God it didn't last. Soon came emancipation and a bloody civil war. Long story short, they lost, we won. Yeah! And a period of reconstruction began. Enter General William Tecumseh Sherman. Sherman meets with a group of freed men who ask Sherman to create a way they could benefit from their own labor. Their request? Land. Okay. In response, General Sherman issues Special Field Order Number 15. 400,000 acres would be given to the freed man for settlement. Or, to break it down, 40 acres and a mule. Hence, the famous phrase was born. But that didn't last long. President Lincoln was assassinated. And the new president, Andrew Johnson, vetoed the bill. Meanwhile... The Southern Homestead Act of 1866 was created. It gave black people six months to buy land at low rates. But no one could afford the land. So the program failed. There were some bright spots. Cali House started the National Ex-Slave Mutual Relief Bounty and Pension Association. But the group was investigated by the Department of Justice, and Cali was introduced to the newest legal form of slavery, jail. 
Marcus Garvey believed all black people should return to their rightful homeland, Africa. So he started the United Negro Improvement Association. But the feds infiltrated that. And he wound up in jail, too. Yep. That whole locking up black people for fighting for injustice never fell out of vogue. See also segregation, lynching, Jim Crow. But Whitney, a lot has happened in between. So let's fast forward to the 1960s. Well, don't lose me here. I never leave a man behind. You good? Cool. Let's continue. Jim Foreman, you know him. He made big headlines when he interrupted the service at Riverside Church to demand $500 million in reparations from predominantly white religious institutions for their role in perpetuating slavery. Queen Mother Moore kept the pressure on and petitioned the government for compensation for slavery. But reparations activists say we need and deserve federal restitution. In 1989, Congressman John Conyers introduced a bill just to study proposals for reparations for black Americans. And he had to reintroduce the bill each congressional term until he left office in 2017. The bill made it to session two years later, thanks to Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. Unfortunately, it is still waiting for approval from the House Judiciary Committee. So let me begin. America is a place that welcomes the diversity of thought. We even welcome the diversity of thought among the multicolored chocolate people that are African Americans. Good luck, Sister Sheila. Whoo! Gee whiz, Whitney. Reparations ain't easy, girl. I told you. Wait a minute. I'm a guy. Reparations has seen a huge wave of renewed interest over the years. America's civil and racial unrest, mixed with a global pandemic in 2020, made crystal clear the disparities, suffering, and terrorism that continue to plague all communities of color. Poor people, and especially black people. And though George Floyd's murder was a rallying call for action, the ugly, mostly white mob of insurrectionists swarmed America's capital on January 6, 2021. Oh... Sometimes it seemed like we live in constant sorrow in a world without end. Amen. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. Okay, I think I know what's coming here. In 2019, 400 years after the first enslaved Africans arrived, something wonderful, something extraordinary happened in Evanston. Against all odds, with a mostly white council, Alderman Robin Roo Simmons successfully passes America's first, first reparations, reparations bill. bill. Which assesses a 3% tax on legal cannabis sales to create a fund to make cash payments to qualified black Evanstonians. That's amazing, right? I'll say. And I know this revelation may have many black folks asking, where in the hell is Evanston? 
<laughs> it's in Illinois, just in case you plotting a move. Well, that's all, folks. Bravo. This is absolutely the best history lesson I've ever gotten from a mosquito. Thank you. You're welcome. Unfortunately, this is the worst gig I ever had. Ain't got no separate trailer, my makeup artist, no masseuse. This dude that used to bring me what I need when I needed it. Quarantine blocking all my connects. But now you know more than you did about the wonderful world of reparations. So long, Whitney. Hugs to Erica. That's my girl. She's such a cutie pie. So long, Cree. I mean, so long, Reparations Mosquito. Wow, Erica, that didn't sting at all. Ooh, that was friggin' terrific. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Cree Summer, for lending her master voice to this piece. She's amazing. I'm a little jealous you two got to play, but I'll think of something cool to do later to even the score. Yeah, Whitney, you did a good job, too. I appreciate the props, Erica. You know, so my first conversation with Mosquito, but hopefully my last. <laughs> but now you know I love the story of Callie House. And I love that we got a chance to talk to historian Mary Frances Berry, who wrote the book on this amazing woman. Mary Frances Berry, she's fantastic. She's smart, beautiful, in great shape. She's 82, okay? I want to be her. Callie House was a black woman who had been a slave. You know, her mother had been a slave. Her father had fought in the Union Army as a runaway slave. And she was at church and she heard about some white guy who had asked the federal government for pensions for slaves on the ground, ex-slaves he called them, on the grounds that the money would go into the pockets of the white people on the plantations where they were all still working. <laughs> and that this was an indirect way to help white Southerners after the Civil War and Reconstruction. But when she heard about it, she said, well, I don't understand why we can't do this by ourselves. Why can't we start something and ask the federal government to give us some pensions that we use for ourselves? After all, we were the ones who were slaves. And so she went around organizing herself in churches. And she would get people to, if they couldn't write, somebody would write down their name and put what plantation they were on and so on. And they would put an X by it and send them off to Congress. And eventually it grew and grew and grew. And she started traveling all over the place, collecting petitions, listening to people's stories and all that. And the federal government got concerned. They decided because letters were coming from white people saying the Negroes are meeting in churches and they come out singing, talking about someday we're going to get something. And we know they're not going to get anything and we're scared of them. So you need to do something about that woman who's going around here stirring them up. And so they decided to go after her. They said, the feds did, that she had about 300,000 dues-paying members. The dues were 25 cents a year. And she was uh, laughed at by middle-class uh, Negroes uh, because she was not very well educated. She had only been like, you know, in the sixth grade. And the government uh, decided that they would get after her for using the mails to defraud. Some of you may remember that that's what they did to Margaret Garvey later. And they said that she was using the mails to defraud 
because she was telling black people that she was going to Negroes, that she was going to try to get the federal government to give them some money, and she should know the federal government is never going to give Negroes any money. That's the way they put it. <laughs> so it was fraud to be organizing people. And they ended up prosecuting her, but all-white jury in Tennessee, and they put her in prison for her trouble. After that, there were branches anywhere there were black folks. All over the South, one was in New York City, they were all out in the black towns. And then there were people like Queen Mother Moore, who was in the New Orleans chapter, all of whom became Garveyites. And so you can trace the present day reparations movement with NCOBRA and the other organizations all the way back to Callie House and her ex-slave pension movement. A remarkable woman. And I think the people who had their names on there at a time when they were attacked when they were under attack and could be abused and everything else, their descendants ought to get something. Malcolm X talks about, if you stick a knife in my back, nine inches, pull it out six inches, that's not progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress comes from the healing, the wound that the blow made. You're talking about the loss, so many hundreds of years of human potential. How would reparations impact progress on issues of equality? The reparations are the most direct way to target money (laughs) to ease the disparities and let black people decide how to spend the money. But first, the country has to acknowledge the disparities. And if people refuse to, then that means that they're not acknowledging that slavery was an institution that did not benefit slaves. Once you accept what happened, then in fact, demanding reparations is easy. We should go after local city councils, local mayors, local government, and organize the way Cali House did and better, because we have better communication now to organize, and demand that local communities pass uh, measures to do this. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. 
You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. The Cali House story is really interesting because it's both inspiring and completely depressing at the same time. You know, it's inspiring what this woman managed to accomplish at the height of the white terror in post-Reconstruction America. But it's really depressing because she did this, built this incredible organization and trying to get reparations for the formerly enslaved and the response of the government was to throw her in jail. Now, I keep getting the feeling that white Americans feel that if they just open this reparations door, it's just a crack, they're not going to be able to contain what comes flooding through. So they keep barring the door and the pressure just keeps building and building. Yeah, it's funny. That, I, to me, it's not a door. It's, it already exists. They either sort of keep going and not talking about it or they, you know, look at it and they face it because it's kind of like an energy that's already out there. But uh, whether they realize it or not. You've been telling me about Cali House for a while, and I am a new fan. Look, I'm a believer. Dr. Barry, thank you. Thank you. You are a river to your people. Thanks for educating us about who and what really matters. You know, but Whitney, I just realized that the pioneers we're talking about today are all black women, and they all, all of them, paid an emotional price for their work in the struggle. Yeah, it's kind of like the same thing today, right, Erica? There's lots of strong black women leaders, and they're taking a lot of shots right now. Look at Stacey in Georgia. Yeah. Stacey, Ayana, Ilhan, Omar, you got um, Latasha Brown. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on and on. There's amazing black women that have always been there doing their thing, and it's time for them to get their flowers. Speaking of which, I'm a bit competitive, and I want to do something cool like your Jurassic Park history mashup. So I'm going to use my black wizard skills, you didn't know I had them, to do something I know you cannot do. I am an actor with access, and so you're you. But look, I'm going to... um, yeah, I'm going to do something cool. So what are we going to get? A song, like a morality play, maybe some acapella? Nope. I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to talk to a queen, a pioneer of reparations whose life story led her to become a force of nature in the struggle. I'm going to talk to Queen Mother Moore. How are you going to do that? I'll use a little bit of magic to do it. And I believe if I listen, well, I'll come back forever changed. So here, let's do this. Let's adjust the volume a little bit. Mr. Pop. Okay, I just know I need to get on the right frequency and always works in the movies. Oh gosh, you're here. It worked. Oh, oh you don't know how I, what I got to go through to get here. <laughs> okay, chill, Erica. You know, she ain't got time for that. Welcome, Queen Mother. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much. And thank you for blessing us with your story. Thank you. Yes, no, thank you, ma'am. You know, where I come from, there's a whole mess of people that call themselves Queen Charlemagne the God. Queen, Queen, Queen. He calls me Queen. But you know what? How did you become the Queen Mother? Well, that name was bestowed upon me by the African students, first of all. Oh. As a result of my years of activities in this country. African students, wow. They um, gave it to me. And when I went to Africa to Dr. Nkrumah's funeral. 
the chief heard about me, and he sent for me to come to him. And I went, and he said, I'm going to make you officially queen mother, queen mother of the Ashanti. And uh, he initiated me to queen mother. But I was queen mother before I went to Africa. (laughs) (laughs) We know you did amazing things in Harlem, but you're actually from the South, right? Yes. I was born in New Iberia, Louisiana, 72798. I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. My parents came from New Orleans, Louisiana. My grandparents came from New Iberia, Louisiana. My father worked for himself. My mother was a housewife. I had two brothers and five sisters. I was the sixth one in the family. Queen Mother Moore, where would you say that your story starts? What was life like growing up for you? My mother died when I was five years old. Mm. And uh, after Papa died, uh, my brother sold the house that Papa had left. And mind you, Papa had told him that, told me that Brother Henry would take care of us. Well, he took care of us all right. The moment he came from the funeral, he said we had to move. And I had my little sisters. So I took a few of uh, Papa's mules to the auction and sold them and rented an apartment. I left New Orleans uh, during the war. I left and went to Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals. Wow, Aretha did a lot of recording there. Yes. Um, Really difficult to listen to you tell your story, but you made it through. Yes. So how did you get started with your work? Uh, We talk a lot about origin stories. What was the origin of your work within that cause? My first encounter with the real struggle was with the uh, Red Cross, who uh, discriminated against the black recruits. They gave the white recruits coffee and donuts while they were mobilizing them, and they didn't give anything to the black recruits. Oh, I'm sorry. And I mobilized the people around to make uh, what we used to call hoe cakes and uh, coffee and gave it to the blacks who were congregated waiting to be shipped off. And my sister and I, we found a place where the soldiers could come, and we got an old phonograph and a lot of scratch records. Well, it was a place where the men could come in and play cards or checkers or something. So we consider ourselves having the first USO among blacks. Oh, wow. So you've been organizing around the black community for a while, but how did you get to the liberation movement, like your work with the great Marcus Garvey? Well, I was first brought into the Marcus Garvey movement by the fact that he I understood that he was to come and speak to us in Louisiana. And uh, we went to the meeting, and lo and behold, he didn't come. And we heard that the mayor refused to allow him to come. So we were very incensed about it and got a delegation to go see why. Then it was guaranteed that Marcus Garvey would come the next night. The hall was packed with people. And everybody went with ammunition, had guns. Everybody had guns. Black people with guns. Okay. Blue Steel, Smith & Westerns, uh, German Lugers. Really? And uh, I had two guns with me. <laughs> 
Y'all showed up and showed out. That's what's up. Amazing. And ammunition, a bag of ammunition. Everybody had a, what you call a suitcase today because we was afraid the police would stop him from coming again. And uh, we wanted to protect him. Wow. And the night that he did come, what happened? 3,500 people was in that hall. So when Garvey came, we applauded very much. And he said, my friends, I want to apologize for not speaking to you last night. But the reason I didn't speak to you is because the mayor permitted himself to be used as a stooge by the police department to prevent me from speaking to you. And when he said that, the police jumped up and said, I'll run you in. And when the police did that, everybody jumped up on the benches. We had benches then and took out their guns straight up. The guns were straight up in the air. Speak, Garvey, speak. And uh, Garvey said, and as I was saying, and he went and repeated himself, and the police filed out of there like little puppy dogs. Every policeman filed out of the hall. I can't forget that. Speak, Garvey, speak. Oh, I wish I was there. And that was your first experience with Marcus Garvey. Amazing. Oh, yes. I'm still a life member of the Garvey movement. I'd like to join the Garvey movement after that. How did this impact your path as an activist? Well, after Muscle Shows, I went back to New Orleans and stayed there a while until uh, Marcus Garvey came on the scene. So then we came to Harlem. Well, anyhow, Harlem was worse than anything we'd seen. They had for white-only signs in all the apartment houses in Harlem, for white-only, big signs outside. And uh, we had to go upstairs in the lowest theater, like we did in the South, same thing. The white people sitting about them downstairs, and we had to go upstairs, and that kind of thing. So and nobody could work in Harlem, no black person. And while you were in Harlem, you began working with Garvey's Universal Negro Improvements Association, and... Uh the African Communities League. Oh, yes. I had gone to his meetings and had, was his guest of honor on the Blackstone Line. Uh-huh. He bought some ships, and they were very unsuccessful because they were sabotaged, you know. Well, what was his plan for the ships? To do export-import from Africa, trade, and so on. So I was very uh, impressed with that. So it was Marcus Garvey who helped push you to look toward Africa with your work? Yes. Well, it was to teach our people self-esteem, for one thing, and our history and pride in our nation. And uh, the other thing was self-sufficiency, going into business and so on, and to think in terms of the development of Africa, to help free Africa from colonialism, that kind of thing. Okay. So is that how you got into your reparations petition? Yes, the petition called for us to go back to Africa for those who wanted to go back. And for those who wanted to stay here, there had to be certain indemnity given for the people who wanted to stay, the people who wanted to go. I was asking for $200 billion for the injury that we have received as a result of our enslavement. Okay, $200 billion, uh, that was a lot of money then and now. Would you say the petition was successful? 
I got a very good response when he told me that uh, we needed a member nation to introduce the resolution since we were not officially members of the UN. I'm sorry, Queen Mother Moore, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing. I think we're losing our connection. Queen Mother Moore? Hello, you were talking about the members, that you needed someone to introduce the resolution. Oh, just when it was getting good, I think I... Oh, I lost her. <laughs> that was amazing. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? Their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well... We had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Wow. What was it like to talk to a legend? No, oh, you know, I got the words. I mean, Queen Mother Moore, she's a queen. And you saw, I mean, she suffered for her struggle work, as she put it. But she was unstoppable. She never quit. And we have to celebrate her life. And when I think about all the soft-handed complainers that we got now, me included, you know, battling racism one well-written, witty post at a time. Uh, but look, I just want to say this. I love black people. I love you. We are unique on this planet. Why did the universe choose 13% of us African-Americans to tell this epic story? I mean, to bear this poisonous, thorny crown. I'm inspired by Queen Mother Moore. And I salute her, and I will work harder, and I think twice, I will think twice, before complaining about the lack of gluten-free treats at the craft service table. I'm, I'm changed. You know, so Erica, this history is amazing. You know, we've been talking about Callie House, now Queen Mother Moore. But it also, 
pulls up these other things for me as well, that there's another side of the story, and that's the white side of the story, the pressures in the story that we're hearing, the people that opposed Callie House people and locked her up, the people that opposed Queen Mother Moore. It's complicated when you think about your legacy and how you're connected to these things. You know, I want to celebrate people like Callie and Queen Mother Moore, but at the same time, I have to figure out how do I take ownership of the other side of the story. You know, when you think about history, there's history being made right now in Emerson, Illinois. Alderman Robin Ruth Simmons from the Fifth Ward has just passed the first tax-funded reparations bill in U.S. history. I live in a city that has acknowledged our collective wrongdoing, and we have acknowledged that we want to do something radically different in passing it. So that makes me hopeful. And the beauty of this reparation goal is it's 100% in line with my highest priorities and my role as alderman. I'm known as Reparation Robin and Rosa Parks now, so (laughs) that's different. I feel incredibly proud to lead in a community that allowed such radical policy and uncomfortable conversation. People have been extremely nasty to me and I really, you know, feel bad for them that whatever is happening in their life that is so miserable, that they are in so much pain that they want to share it and pass it all around. So I feel sad for them and I forgive them and hope that they find some peace. So when that happens, even, you know, it's my faith that allows me to work past the pain that I receive and take that pain and figure out how to turn it into some purpose. I would love for more people to take ownership of it and do the work. It's important. It's going to have to happen. We have officially started our public subcommittee meetings. We've established a timeline and we have prioritized the initial remedy. And we're going to start with housing, you know, keeping our Black community. We have a declining population. I serve in a very diverse community, right? 16% of the population is Black and the rest of the community is not Black. And they don't understand as much. So at the same time as I'm working on the policy building relationships, finding resources, I still have a huge piece of education. In the process of this, I have been supporting the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois on their initiatives, just being an advocate, showing up to speak, sharing what was possible in Evanston, and hopefully giving some inspiration to the leaders at the state level and the city level. I'm also in full support of H.R. 40 and supporting anyone that is looking to get that passed. The amount of support that I have received from leaders and experts has really given me confidence to continue the second leg of the work. We are likely to be the, you know, not only the first city, but also in the first state and bordering the first major city to have a, a local reparative policy, a local reparation There are going to be more actions that require, you know, a majority vote. But right now, in terms of the direction, the thought leadership, the intentions, I have set it and I will continue nurturing it and I will see it through. You know, every time I hear Robin, I start, I think about something that's always kind of in the back of my mind as a white person is that I look at this community, Evanston, Illinois and who's committed to give reparations to their black residents. But the effort was really driven by 
this black woman who put this whole program together and drove it through the mostly white city council. And so I always wonder if we owe this, why aren't we taking the lead on it more? But I think what's really interesting about Evanston and something that you and I, Erica, have talked a lot about is that what does a world that has had reparations paid look like? And in Evanston, Illinois, in a few months, we're going to start to see. Three black women who never met, locked together in their destinies. It's one long epic poem, like the Odyssey or the Mahabharata, which I was in and did a world tour at the public theater long ago, but I digress. Anyway, Whitney, let's think about that world. But we need to give our history lesson the rockin' heroes finale it deserves because of their work and others. One day we may finally get reparations. And what would that be like? The narrative would get flipped. In a world where reparations exist in America for the descendants of African slaves, the human potential lost in the white-capped stormy seas, mixed with the blood and pain of centuries, is slowly regained and reanimated in the multicolored chocolate children who reclaim their destinies and God-given potential. And ironically, American democracy is saved and finally realized, not by a caped crusading billionaire bat or a greasy-haired alien with a red S on his chest, but by real-life heroes of all colors, previously locked into the villain role newly free to be the gods and earths they were always meant to be. Join Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow as they battle for the soul of America in the new action-adventure blockbuster, Reparations, The Big Payback. Next time on Reparations, The Big Payback. To paraphrase W.B. Du Bois he, on the subject of the history of slavery, of the exploitation and violence against African-Americans in U.S. history, American people have been, as he put it, spoiled by sweets. Ugh. Right. So we have too often got a nice nationalist dessert with a big old helping of American exceptionalism on top. And to a large extent, it's not true. <laughs> And we're not going to be able to face the future effectively, I think, if we continue to insist that the history of slavery and the history of land theft from indigenous people are not the central realities of the first quarter millennium of our history. This podcast is produced by Eric Alexander, Ben Arnon, and Whitney Dow. The executive producers are Charlemagne the God and Dolly S. Bishop. The supervising producer is Nicole Childers, and the lead producer is Devin Mavic-Robbins. The producer-writer is Cerise Castle, and the associate producer is Kevin Pham, with additional research and writing support provided by Niall Blass. Original music by DJ DTP. The Queen Mother Moore audio was courtesy of the Tamament Library at New York University.
Reparations, The Big Payback is a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network in association with Best Case Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at High the Number 5 Casino.com. High Five Casino.